Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Johnston Community College in Smithfield, North Carolina, underwritten by Anchor, where everyone can make a podcast for free. So today we're talking about human resources, and when I say human resources, what does that mean to you? What comes to mind when you hear, what do you associate with human resources? Having to sit down in the HR office. Having to sit down in HR. And is, do you associate it as being a positive or a negative thing or a neutral thing? Usually neutral, but it could quickly become a negative thing. It could be neutral or negative. Does anybody else have any other associations they might have with human resources? Positive, negative, neutral. What do you think? Compliance department? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Any other thoughts that you might have or, or like, you know, pre-assessments like assessments of what you think HR is? No? HR is a place you go to if you're not doing what you're supposed to. Okay? <laughs> if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing or if you're upset about something or if you need something, you know. So it's good that you don't have any, like, um, originating thoughts about HR or have few originating thoughts because there's a lot that goes into HR and we're going to talk about it in this chapter and hopefully after these next lectures uh, you'll have a greater depth of understanding of all the different facets of HR and so let me just go over some of the learning outcomes explain the importance of human resources management and describe current issues in managing human resources and it's probably changed since the pandemic because uh, there is some of the things in here about flexible scheduling and things like that, but we'll get into it. Illustrate the effects of legislation on human resource management. Summarize the five steps in human resource planning. Describe methods that companies use to recruit new employees and explain some of the issues that make recruitment challenging. Outline the six steps in selecting employees. Illustrate employee training and development methods. Trace the six steps in appraising employee performance. Summarize the objective of employee compensation programs and evaluate pay systems and fringe benefits. Demonstrate how managers use scheduling plans to adapt to workers' needs and describe how employees can move through a company, promotion, reassignment, termination, and retirement. A lot of different things that can happen. And this is a lot to take in. And if you're thinking about going into human resources, which is a great field, um, you don't have to have all this like stuff in your brain. But as you get on the job and work in this field, it will become ensconced in your persona. You'll start to just be able to rattle off this information because you'll go through it over and over again. And, like, I've been teaching for about 10 years now, and so I've seen all this stuff over and over again, and it just becomes a part of your psyche. And so HRM, or Human Resource Management, is the process of determining human resource needs and then recruiting, selecting, developing, motivating, and evaluating compensating and scheduling employees to achieve organizational goals. HRM's role has grown because of increased recognition of employees as a resource, changes in law that um, rewrote the old workplace practices. And so when you think about offering a job to employees, say we're going to offer you $50,000 a year, there's a reason why that company wants to hire you and pay you $50,000 a year. Why is that reason? What is that reason? Any ideas? They need work done. They need work done, right. So you, you represent a value to them. So if a company is going to pay $50,000 a year for your time and service, they're going to be able to translate your inputs into some output that's more valuable than $50,000, right? It's not uncommon for an individual to have a multiplier effect of 10 to 20x or more. So if, I, if I'm hired at $50,000 a year, they're expecting $500,000 of output from my efforts or if it's 20x, a million output. And so I used to be a recruiter. That was my job. And every student that I recruited when I worked for the University of Mount Olive, rough figure was worth about $10,000 in revenue a year. It's a little bit more than that, but somewhere in that neighborhood. So if I recruited, you know, 100 students a year, that's a million bucks in revenue. And, you know, if they're paying me whatever, thirty, forty, fifty $50,000 a year, you know, they can see that that's a huge value add, right? But if I'm, if I'm the recruiter and only recruit two students a year, you know, that, that's, a loss, that's a loss proposition. That's not going to work out. You know, the value's not there. And it's the same proposition for any type of work that's being done. 
you're hired to fulfill a job that adds value to that organization, whatever it may be. And so HR's responsibility as a big part of that is to determine what the human resources needs are now and what they're going to be in the future and how do we get from here to there with the least amount of friction. And so like right now is a great time of the year to talk about this because we're about to get into the holiday season and a lot of companies will hire seasonal help, you know, and a lot of different companies do this. Um, Even in like um, agriculture, like uh, we we live not far from a a poultry processing plant and they'll hire seasonal help just to come in to help them get through this uptick uh, in demand. And a lot of retail stores will hire seasonal help, you know, come in. In fact, um, does anybody ever visit Dwayne's down the road? We've talked about this company before. Yeah, you go in there like during December and I, I haven't counted, but it feels like there's like 80 people that work there during the holidays. It's just lots of employees, lots of people everywhere. And it's because there's a demand there and somebody is thinking about HR when it comes to uh, staffing those, uh, those hours and, and being, meeting that demand. And so this is why I asked you that question in the beginning. This is kind of gives you some ideas of what the organizational goals are. And as we go through the chapter, we'll get into different facets of what HR is. So the organizational goal, we do have the human resource management, but we also have career management, employee union relations, scheduling, compensation and benefits, evaluation, motivation, training and development, selection, recruitment. I think it um, probably starts and goes all the way clockwise from HR to recruitment selection. But all those things deal with HR. So HR is so much more than where you go if you get in trouble or where you go if you've got a problem. We're talking about they're your first stop when you get hired, when you get recruited. Um, they, you go through HR to do training you know, and development. Motivation, they, they put out things to help keep you motivated towards your goals. Evaluation time, every organization I've ever worked for has some type of evaluation. Does DQ do evaluations too? Uh, just the owner does it all. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Um, compensation and benefits. Scheduling. Um, we don't talk a lot about unions. This is the next chapter. I do want to spend some time talking about that. And career management. So HR has a lot of different facets that go into it. So, <clears throat> so secrets of HRM, things your HR manager doesn't tell you. We're short-staffed and under pressure too. Absolutely certain. Like um, many places I've worked, it seems like HR is always under the gun. And I mean that like not in a derogatory way, but just always under pressure because all these different facets, they're, they're having to work on constantly bringing new people in, dealing with compliance issues, dealing with disciplinary issues, dealing with benefits. I mean, there's just, just the benefit piece alone is a huge thing when you've got a large organization. So HR is constantly having to deal with these things. We struggle with dealing with negative coworkers too. Absolutely. Always be nice to HR. <laughs> I, I, I try to sign my emails to most everybody that says, I appreciate you. Thank you. You know, because, um, you know, different people have different levels of stress that they deal with at work. And um, if you're managing an organization with 300 people, you know, odds are at any given time you can have multiple issues that you're dealing with. We're not always going to be able to help in the way you hope. We can help you move up the career ladder. And what you post on Facebook can get you fired. So these are things that HR may not tell you. Um, Something like I read 90% plus of the hirings that happen for salary-based positions, and I guess even could be uh, hourly too, they do a search of your social media before they make a job offer. I know I've seen it happen. Um, I don't personally do that. Like if I'm looking at a candidate, I I don't want to be in people's business. I figure, you know, um, if I call somebody and do a background check, if I call, call an employer and talk to them, I'll find out things I need to know. But, yeah, I, don't, I haven't actually – I don't think I've actually looked on anybody's Facebook of any of my team that I work with unless they add me, you know. But I'm not a social media guru. My, my wife is. She's like social media FBI. She can find out everything about everybody, but that's just not my thing. But go ahead. As far as a legitimate or a social media check, like a legitimate background check. How much does it weigh on me? It depends on what's up there. Um, When I was at Walmart, we had an associate or a potential associate have a background check, and it came up that they had some felony drug charges. 
I stuff mean, like that. I'm yeah. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm in reference to. Oh, it, like it would weigh on me. Like if I, if I we we hired somebody um, in the past, and this was at another institution, and um, called two references. The first one was glowing. And the first one even was kind of like sad because this person may be potentially leaving. Called the second reference and it was very neutral. Wasn't super positive, wasn't negative, but it wasn't glowing. So you got one glowing and one kind of neutral. So, I mean, the offer was still made, you know. So I think in North Carolina, I don't know about federally, but in North Carolina, you can only say positive things about somebody you can't bash somebody like there's a, but there, and there's only a certain amount of questions you can ask right. but that's always good but they could be saying positive things to get rid of them. <laughs> that's that could be true but i would also say that uh if somebody asked me a question that like if i didn't like this person or thought they were a good candidate I would say, like, if they asked me, instead of me answering it, knowing that I'm not allowed to, I would say, based on the way I feel and think, I am not able to answer this question. And they can read between the lines, you know. So, and just, right, that's a non-answer. So, um, but, yeah, I, I would just, but the, it's interesting to me that of all these things, I think in our day and age, the most important one is the Facebook thing or the social media thing. Be cautious what you put out there. Um, and, you know, as a person that believes in knowledge, academia, and free speech, and um, basically academic freedom, we still have to kind of self-censor what we put out there. Even if we have strong feelings on something, I, I hate that even having to say this, but you can be persecuted professionally for things that you say, opinions that you have, and so you kind of have to kind of guard against uh, know your audience, you know. So, like, you can have a very strong opinion on something. You put it out there on social media, and a hiring manager sees that 10 years from now and makes a judgment call based on an opinion that you have, that you have every right to have, and yet it has a negative consequence. I'm, I'm just saying, like, be – and I have this uh, – like, that's just the, the mind frame that I'm in – but my wife would, would tell you the complete opposite. She'd say, I don't care. If they don't like me, that's their problem. You know, so, but from my side, the, my opposing view would be be cautious in what you say but because it can follow you on the Internet. So, um, Questions, comments? All right. So the human resource challenge, there's a lot of them. Uncertainty in global politics and... We live in a very politically charged environment, and in America, freedom is the thing, right? You're free to say what you want, pretty much, but you're, you're, you're not free from the consequences of those, that speech. So meaning that if you say something, uh, the other person has the freedom to say something to the contrary, or um, I guess persecute's a strong word, but they, they can prosecute you in the court of public opinion based on your thoughts and opinions, right or wrong, that these things happen every day. So that's why I'm just advising you to be guarded in what you say and know your audience. Technology, this, this goes right into that. The multiplier effect, if you, um, I'll give you one, this is a good example about how technology, I was on Twitter one time, I had a comic business years ago, I told you about it, and I went to a free logo site to help me develop my logo for my comic business. And the logo, um, the name of the business was Tank Comics. And the reason I was called it Tank Comics because my family lives in Botankus. So tank, you know, I thought that was neat. So I had a logo of a tank. And I got it, like I said, from a free logo site. Well, when I was, I was uh, on Twitter and Neil Gaiman, who is an author, retreated one of my tweets. And um, he's, a, he's a big-time author. Does anybody know who Neil Gaiman is? He wrote uh, Sandman. He wrote, um, what's that movie, Stardust. Um, he's written several other things. He's a, he's, a, he's a big author. Well, it got retweeted, and, like, before I knew it, it went viral, and, like, hundreds and thousands of tweets. But then what the people started saying is, hey, your logo, you stole that from another person that has this same logo. And I said, no, I got it off this free logo site, and I actually posted the site, but it didn't stop the dog pile of people. Persec you know what I'm saying? Like, 
they just became a dog pile of people negative commenting that, hey, you stole this logo. And I'm like, guys, I got it off a free logo site. Here's the link to it. I don't care. You still stole it. I'm like, you know, and so like me, unbeknownst to me, this was somebody stole that logo, put it on a free logo site, and it became an issue. So the reason I tell you that story is because technology creates this multiplier effect where if you can say something that people deem as uncool, they can, it could really go viral really quickly. So just be guarded in what you say. There's, that's going to be a theme of HR. And HR managers would tell you the same thing. Um, multi-generational workforce. The, and we talked about this last chapter. The thing that motivates and interests somebody from a baby boomer generation is going to be different from Gen X, Y, and Z. It just is. Um, and so if I say, hey, we're offering this cool perk, that may be very appealing to a baby boomer, but a millennial could care less. You know, oh, really? Not interested, you know. So, um, or if I tell, like, the workforce, hey, guys, let's assume that you all are very diverse in age. Hey, guys, we're going to have flexible scheduling going forward. Millennials are like, yes. Baby boomers are like, well, I'm still going to be here at 8 o'clock in the morning, so whatever, you know. That's just, that's I've done it for 40 years, so... I'll be here with a tie on and, and baby boomer will, or a millennial will be at the house, t-shirt, socks, and, and, and sweatpants, you know. So these different motivators create this multi-generational workforce uh, or with the, the, these motivators are different with different motivations uh, in the multi-generational workforce. Shortages of trained workers in growth areas and construction trades. Growing percentage of undereducated and underprepared new workers. Yep. And so, well... I, I grew up at a time where they really pushed go to a four-year college. I'm telling my own kids now, go to a community college and get a skill trade that the workforce demands, that the workforce is looking for. And uh, I think that's good advice. But there's a cost-benefit to that. The, the benefit is they could go into the workforce doing a job that is the workforce needs, but there are things that you miss in pursuit of that four-year degree. Like, I mean, there's there's educational and um, knowledge growth that occurs that they may miss out on. Baby boomer brain drain. As baby boomers retire and leave the workforce, that knowledge, skill, and experience also goes with them. And so, you know, if a large chunk of the of that education or um, uh, experience leaves, then you're just dealing with a less experienced workforce. Increasing number of single parent and two family incomes. Um, change in attitudes towards work. Seen a lot of that lately. That uh, pandemic pushed that into over overdrive. Increased demand for temporary or part-time work. Expanding global markets with low-wage workers. Um, I've talked about this book before. It's called The World is Flat, Thomas Friedman. And it basically was a Pandora's box that um, is really beyond anybody's control. I mean, as companies started uh, going offshore, it created an opportunity where blue-collar working-class Americans didn't have jobs. And so they had to go to low-wage low jobs or reskill to try to get a different type of job. But um, it just creates this uh, arbitrage where work moves from one country to another and creates opportunities. There's a cost and benefit there. Increased benefit demands on low cost. Concern over child and elder care, health and mental well-being, workplace violence. Um, changing health care regulations, decreased sense of employee loyalty and automated HR system. So these are just a few of the challenges, and you can actually go into each one of these and give five bullet points under each one of these because they're, they're complex issues that require a lot of uh, skills for HR to have to navigate and deal with. Um, anybody have any questions, comments, ideas on any of this? All right. So we're going to talk about, over the course of the chapter, several different uh, laws that are in effect that um, are important in the workplace. And so the Civil Rights Act of 1964, Title VII prohibits discrimination in hiring, firing, compensation, apprenticeships, training terms, conditions, or privileges of employment based on, and you've probably heard these protected status before, race, religion, creed, sex, national origin, age, sexual orientation, gender identity. Um, and almost <laughs> any employment form that you fill out you're going to see a statement of equal opportunity and basically that you have protection of these. Here's the question. Do you feel like this is universally true? No? 
So do you think old people are discriminated against in the workplace? Do you think very young people are discriminated in the workplace? Do you think women are discriminated against? Do you think people of color are discriminated against? What do you think? So even though we have these laws that say, no, you can't do that, but yet we have discrimination in the workplace, why is that? Why does that still happen? So they're saying there's an what you're saying is a bias that already exists, yeah. and so they match the candidate with that bias that they already exist. In sometimes it's deliberate, and sometimes it's it's unconscious bias, meaning that um, people they select people that fall into a, a group that they want to associate with. You know, so I want to hire somebody that I think will be a good fit based on the biases that I have. What's up? They're less outspoken about it. What do you mean by that? Right. Something that came up years ago, like, um, and it was, it came up over a decade ago, and it was a big thing during that. And I think there's the things that go in cycles, but there was a thing about hiring women that were visibly showing that they were pregnant. You like you couldn't even not hire, like not discriminate against women that were pregnant, and um, when it came down to the interview, you have to make sure that your questions in the interview don't speak about anything outside of the business. So tell me about your experience. You can ask that, but say tell me about you know your due date. You cannot ask that. You know like anything that deals with because they could if if they don't get the job they can say I was discriminated against because. You know, I'm a woman and I'm expecting. And so um, you have to be very, like, HR has the responsibility of vetting questions uh, and making sure that all the questions that are asked are appropriate to the position and can't be construed in any way as being discriminating against an individual. Did you have a comment? I was just about to say the hiring committee's open. You know, you have a list of questions to ask, but they had to be right. approved by Right. HR. When I first got here, every... I, we've done four or five hirings this year, but every up until recently, every set of questions had to be vetted by HR, and they would they you would submit questions and they would vet them and say these are appropriate to ask. So, but a good rule of thumb is um, if you're doing any type of hiring, keep everything um, related directly to the work and the job and the experience and the professional experience. Can't ask any personal questions. Tell me about your family. No. You know, tell me about where you came, your hometown. No, none of that. You know, tell me about you know your professional experience. Yes. Tell me about your educational experience. Yes. You know, if I called your colleagues, what would they say about you? Yes. But nothing that deals with their personal lives at all. That's that's off limits. So, other questions or comments on this topic. So, in 1972, the EEOA, the Equal Employment Opportunity Act. It strengthens the Equal Opportunity, um, Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, by giving it broad powers. Right to issue workplace guidelines for acceptable employer conduct can mandate specific record-keeping procedures. The power of enforcement for its mandates enforces affirmative action, employment activities des um, designed to right past wrongs by increasing opportunities for minorities and women. So there's a couple of these. We've got 19th Civil Rights Act, the EEOA, uh, which is part of the EEOC. And then um, we get to, we're getting the civil rights, but the Office of Federal Contract and Compliance Programs, which is the OFCCP, ensures that employers during um, doing business with the federal government comply with the non-discrimination and affirmative action laws. And then we get to the Civil Rights Act of 1991, amend, amended Title VII, and gave victims of discrimination the right to a jury trial and possible damages. And there has been... Pretty egregious cases come up where um, one the big one in my mind is is women against Walmart where there were thousands of women that had a class action lawsuit saying that they were not given the opportunity to move up into management because the company discriminated against women and I'm not here to say if that's true or not but the evidence supports their claim um, yes sir did you have a comment. Uh, 
one of the black coaches came out and it was like I was fired because of that's and I yep. didn't get hired because, and now I think a few others have come out saying like roughly the same thing. Sure. So, point being is that we have made progress, but the reason why we teach this and we still talk about it is because it's still an issue. You know, there's still discrimination. And once again, some of it is blatant discrimination, like, you know, this is a club and we're not letting you come into our club. Other discri- others is, is um, basically subconscious bias where people don't realize that they're subconsciously discriminating against uh, groups of individuals, but it, does, it doesn't make it better nonetheless. So laws protecting employees with disabilities and other uh, older employees, the American with Disabilities Act of 1990, the ADA, it requires employers to give applicants with physical or mental disabilities the same consideration for employment as uh, people without disabilities. Uh, Passage in 2008 of the American with Disabilities Act, Amendments Act, expanded protection, and 2011 saw regulations that widened the range of disabilities covered by the ADA and shift the burden of proof of disability from employees to the employers. And so, yeah, this is just a way that employers are mandated to comply, to not discriminate against people with disabilities. Um, there's this thing called a reasonable accommodation. Reasonable accommodation is if you have some type of disability, and it can, it can be a wide spectrum of things, um, can the employer hire you and make a what's called a reasonable accommodation um, in order for you to work there? And, like, a reasonable accommodation might be something as simple as a ramp, you know, or... Uh, a special kind of chair that you could sit in that would complement what your needs are. And so there's there's a, a wide variety of things that can be done, but main thing is HR, all these laws that we've talked about so far and a few more to come, uh, all of this is kind of through the lens of human resources, and they have to make sure that there's compliance with this. So they're responsible for the compliance, but also the teaching and training to make sure that everybody knows, hey, you can't do that because that could be construed as discrimination. And so Age Discrimination and Employment Act, the ADEA, protects workers 40 and over, oh my gosh, Shane, from the employment and workplace discrimination in hiring, firing, promotion, layoff, compensation, benefits, job assignments, and training. What's the problem with this one law alone? What do you think the problem would be with this? If somebody feels like they're being discriminated against because of their age. What do you think the problem with that would be? It would be really good. What do you think? Like, once you get to a certain age, especially with, like, if you have to do a lot of heavy lifting and stuff like that, you know, it's kind of hard to, like, allow that because then that means the business open for, you know, to get sued. It creates a safety liability. It could, yeah. Um, what I was thinking is it's hard to prove in a court of law that you – either didn't get hired or you got fired or you didn't get a promotion or, you know, or you didn't get any of these things because of your age. It would be hard to prove that unless there was a, a trend line established from several people to say this company has a history of treating older people poorly or not, not promoting them for whatever reason. Like one example might be if you had a company had, let's say, 500 locations and all the managers were under 25, and yet they had several qualified older people that were in the 40-plus category, and none of those people were store managers. There might be something there. I don't know. So, But, yeah, once again, would be difficult to prove in a court of law. So effects of legislation. Employers must know the law and act accordingly. Yeah, ignorance of the law is not an excuse for not compliance. So let's say that you have some type of HR thing that pops up, one of these laws that has been violated or you've been accused of violating that law, just because you didn't know about it doesn't mean that you're going to get a pass, you know. Um, and so uh, legislation affects all areas of human resource management. Changes in law and legislation occur regularly. And so, yeah, when, when laws change, it comes through the system and we get updates um, and we, we have to change our compliance based on whatever those laws may be. So does anybody know of a law that changed within the past few years that created a change in the workplace? Anything come to mind? No? Um, I'm trying to think of one that jumps out of the, the, just off the top of my head. How about like 
who worked where they were still in high school? Anybody work where they were still in high school? What was the regulation and laws surrounding your work, the amount of work you could do while you were in high school? Right. Okay. 16, I think it's like 30, 35, and I think once it's 17, I think you just can't go Okay. Like things like that. Also, sure. breaks are uh, mandatory. Okay. What you got? Well, so I am working while still in high school, so I can't. I can drive after nine as long as I'm coming home from work. Now they've changed that. So since I'm working, I can come. I can stay out. I can work later now. Okay. Uh, I am required a fifteen-minute break for every four hours work and for every eight hours and thirty minutes. Sure. So that is an example of what we're talking about, and. The way that the employment laws exist for high school workers will continue to evolve over time. And there may be a time when they either loosen or tighten those regulations. And the employer is expected to fall in line with that very quickly, you know, immediately. Yes? Um, when, I, when I was still working with the toxic manager, she had deprived me actually of my 15-minute break. And I was actually, me and my mom started writing down every single time Yeah. to present it to the owner and right. I was sure I'm going to tell him if you don't do anything about it I will seek legal action on it because I was getting like I, I was multiple shifts in a row not getting a 15 minute break at all and I yeah. had like 5-6 hour shifts so I couldn't get my 30 minute but I did need my 15 minute so this this is a learning I'll get you Caden but this is something you're learning now that I, w I want you to learn from this class is these experiences you're having you should not accept this as a norm going forward so if somebody's treating you poorly, you need to either, they need to know what's up or you need to get out. What's up, Caden? So my work, we don't even get breaks. That's illegal, but go ahead. But it's because, like, if you're working outside and you're, like, waiting on carts to come in, like, you do get those breaks, but, like, if you're needed, then, like, you have to work. Right, I see. So, like, it's, it's not an bad. express, like, that break is not clearly defined. Right, like, if you do a double, you get sure. an hour. Right. Like, we don't do the whole, like, four hours 15 minutes like we don't do that yeah like unless you're doing a double like you really don't get like a set amount of time that like you can't get called to do something sure yeah it's, it's really not that bad because i've done it before i see both sides you know i mean uh, on the one hand uh if i was a state or federal work like person that's looking over these regulations and i was looking at your case i would probably want to see clearly defined breaks mm -hmm. um because that's what it calls for is to have a clearly defined break. There's no kind of – because the way that, that it could be is that you're just perpetually on the clock and you don't really – there could be times when you actually don't get a break because of the circumstance, you know. So um, at Walmart, they – the manager would get in trouble if we had a, time, a meal break exception. So if the employee went six hours with no meal break – the manager could get written up. So that's how hardcore they are on that stuff. What's up? Uh, I, I think it, I think, I'm pretty sure it has to be a paid break as well, a 15-minute paid break, and then for the eight hours, it's 30 minutes unpaid. Yeah. So the 15-minute thing at Walmart was, the, you know, some managers defined it like um, you're going on break at this time, you're going to break at this time, and um, it's, it's, it's got more sophisticated because they actually have everything in a scheduling system now. So... They know when all that's supposed to be, and you're supposed to. And it's really bad in places like Amazon warehouses because they have your your badges like RFID'd. So, like, if you're running around the warehouse and you're not on break, you're penalized for that. And they they they, they track every step you take in that warehouse. It's really nuts, you know. I'm surprised I hadn't seen like a there might be one a mirror a Black Mirror episode on that where you're just like in a, a rat in a maze running around a warehouse. Uh, you know, it's, I, you know, I get it. Somebody's got to do it, but it just does not sound fun to me. So I'm going to take a timeout real quick. I'm going to get the power cord. I'll bring it back here, and we can do it right here. So we'll be right back. All right, and we're back. So 
the planning process. This, this was in the uh, learning outcomes. And so human resource planning process, prepare a human resource inventory of employees. So you want to know what you're working with to begin with, and you want to assess, is this the correct amount of people that we need? Do we have too many? Do we have too few? You want to know the tools you're working with. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but every person, every individual is a, for lack of better, you know, description, a tool in that organization that, that has a specific purpose. And that doesn't sound good, calling people tools. I just realized that. So <laughs> stretch that from the recording. So <laughs> they, they are a part of a process within an organization that is vital. And so you want to analyze every job and assess the future human resource demand. So based on, and <clears throat> there were several waves of human resource historically, and basically where HR is now is they're very involved in the management to determine is this organization growing or is it contracting? And if it's growing, well, we're, we do need more people to handle that growth because if our organization grows without the people to support it, it leads to a very bad, bad situation. Does anybody know that LuLaRoe home-based business that sells clothes? Are you familiar with this, anybody? Are you familiar with it, Kelsey? There, it, was, it was a brand that sold women's leggings. That was their, their big item. But they sold other things, too. There's a great documentary on, on uh, Amazon called Lula Rich. And what it was is a, a family that created these, these clothing products that blew up. And it, it, the, the quote from the show was, they were the product of catastrophic growth, meaning they grew so fast, they just did not have the operations know-how and the infrastructure to support the catastrophic growth of the company. And the demand grew so big, they didn't have warehouse space to store the product, so they were leaving product in the parking lot, and it was getting water on it, and it molded and mildewed, and it was just a... A, a catastrophe because I knew people and to buy into this company to be a, a, a rep for them it cost anywhere from six to ten thousand dollars to start and I know people that started that and my wife was looking at I was like look I worked in retail soft lines and clothing not a good idea and so the business model was they would you would subscribe to a you would order clothes they would send you a generic box of mixed clothes and you would have these boutiques in your home and people come through and buy clothing. Um, but the thing is, only about 30% of the clothes were in what were real high demand, stuff that women actually wanted to buy and wear. And that left 70%, you know, maybe 20% of that was, was mid-demand and then it's 50% low-demand, like nobody wants it. And so you're left with all this inventory that just keeps 50% from this month, 50% from next month, 50, it just kept getting... Bigger and bigger before you know it, you've got a thousand items of merchandise that nobody wants. And you've invested thousands of dollars into this merchandise. And so everybody that I know personally um, that was in LuLaRoe sold their inventory for pennies on the dollar just to get rid of it. Like come buy dollar, dollar items, get rid of it. Uh, so you want to be able to assess what your human resources demands are so you know if your organization is growing, how to prepare for that. Assess future labor supply. Is our growth going to match what the market has? These cor corporations that come build warehouses and factories in this area, they're doing that because they have assessed that over the next 10, 20, 30 years, there's going to be a, a supply of labor to be able to facilitate this, this, this organization. So when they come and build a warehouse in Johnson County, it's funny to think about it, but they're thinking about that kindergartner that's in kindergarten right now that in 15, 20 years is going to be a warehouse worker, you know? That's the kind of thought process they go through and seeing what their current population is and how much of that population is going to end up in that industry. And so they, they, that's the type of thought process they have. Establishing a strategic plan, and that's what I'm talking about, is knowing, you know, if you're going to invest, you know, $20 million in a warehouse in Johnson County, you better have a strategic plan in place and know that you're going to have the workforce to, to support that organization. Otherwise, why would you do it? And so we talked about job analysis as the step two here, but so what is the job analysis? It's a study of what is done by employees who hold various job titles. It includes a job description, which is a summary of objectives of a job, the type of work to be done, the responsibilities and duties, the working conditions, and the relationship of the job to other functions. Most any job that you get has a job description. Yes, sir. Uh, my mom, like, earlier in the 
this year. She worked for Citibank, and her uh, she's a regulation management team. And they like, uh, not, no, they do a bunch of like risk. Uh, they're a risk management team, and so they do a lot of like new products. Like when Apple Pay came through, they're like, "Does City want to be a part of this?" Are they a part of that? I don't know. Uh, they are. Okay. But this was, but they like my mom was like, it was horrible when they first came in. Why? Uh, just safety issues. Like City didn't want to put their hands in it. Yeah. Because of like just the safety, like she talked with Apple and was like, "You guys need to fix this." She just she hated working with Apple because she was like, "I just don't like any of them. They don't like to be wrong." Right, I understand that. Yeah, yeah, I get, I get that. But, uh, she was. They had a job analysis through throughout Citibank. They're coming back through and they're figuring out what everybody actually does. So they're determining if they can shrink teams or grow teams. Right. And my mom realized that her and her peer, they pretty much did the exact same thing. So what they did is they swapped. Like they split what they did and gave half of what they did to the other so they diversified what they did so they didn't lose their jobs oh sweet that's very smart it's also very cool that they are allowed to just do that kind of stuff you so know it's like a quick call at like hr hey can we just do this so yeah. our jobs actually seem important that's amazing how long has she been with that organization she's been there since she was a call yeah she she worked her way up okay she so worked all the way up now she's like uh vp of something risk man well see like what she just did she basically gave herself diversity in her job so basically it makes her more essential because she has she covers more bases now you know so and i thought because uh i felt like it was really cool because she also ended up helping the other guy too because now they both get to keep their jobs it's nice yeah it's amazing though that these organizations are like when you look at some of these organizations that has 20 30 40 thousand people that work for them that they don't know what people do because they're so big. And you think about turnover, so if I come into an organization, if I'm a new HR manager, yeah, I might not have any idea what most of the people at this company do. So you have to do these job analyses every once in a while to determine, so what does your job description say that you do, but what do you actually do? There's a, because over time what ends up happening is like, it starts at, you ever seen these, uh, what do they call them, Me uh, metrodomes that rock back and forth? They keep time for piano players and stuff, you know. Is that what it's called? I don't know what it's called. Yeah. We'll, we'll call it timekeeper. It switches back and forth. But over time, it gets more heavy and goes rocks harder and harder. So mm -hmm. when you start out with a job and a brand-new job description, it starts off pretty consistent. What you do is what it says you do. But over time, you also add this function and you add that function. And before you know it, you're doing all these other things that don't really have anything to do with your job description, you know. You're doing all this other stuff. Yes, sir. Oh, that's my mom got to her current position. Yeah. Her boss before her held her position, and she'd gotten a job offer. Well, for like years, she's known this boss for years, like known her since she was small in the company, kind of, kind of thing. And um, they had just a good relationship that she already did a lot of her boss's job for her. Like whenever she right. got on sick days, my mom would do the work. And so it was just that was an easy step up. My mom already knew how to do everybody's job in the whole, in the uh, risk management team. Okay. And so it was like easy step up, and now she just had to learn the management of people part. Very cool. Thank you, covered those in your job description. Thank you. You. you Thank you. I appreciate you that you're you're one step ahead of me on that. So as uh, Shane was saying. At the end of almost every job description, I think at the end of every job description I've seen, but I'd be surprised if it wasn't up there. And the only reason it wouldn't be is if you work for a smaller organization that just doesn't know to put it up there. But there's a default say, statement that says any and all other assigned duties as deemed appropriate by the organization or some, some skew of that, meaning that if we need you to go hold the door open for people, yeah, you're doing that, you know. So... Um, yeah, I hate to keep harping on Walmart, but that that definitely fell into that because I ran a cashier. I can't run a cash restaurant, unload trucks. I was pushing buggies, everything. What's up? Derek's been at the exact same statement. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't know what that means. Now I know I can go get ice for the there you go. machines, which is normally a cook's job, but I right. can do it. I can do a cook's job if ever needed. Sure. Not officially, but you know, if collapsed over, I can go help him. This is sad to say, and don't don't hate me that I say this, but. And, I, and I've thought about this a lot for my kids because my kids are going into their teen years. I got a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, and my son, he's, he's seven, so he's got a ways. But as they go into the teen years, I know they're going to have some bad life experiences, some heartbreaks, some disappointments. 
you got to have these bad work experiences to appreciate the good work experiences, and you got to have these bad work experiences so you can say as a manager one day, I don't want you to have a bad work experience. Because I tell my team, I've been through toxic managers. I don't want to be that guy. And if I am that guy, tell me because I don't want to be that guy. So point being is it sucks going through a toxic manager that you've had and, and having these experiences. But now as you move up in your career, you'll be able to reflect on this and say, we're going to make it better. You know, we're not going to have that. And so, um, so for what it's worth, it's, you, you're learning as you go through this experience. So. You have one specific function to do, but they'll tell you, but uh, you'll be wearing many hats. Yeah, right. Yeah. You do wear a lot of hats. That's right, yeah. So a job specification is a written summary of the minimum qualifications required of workers to do a particular job. So um, that's what is involved with a job analysis. And so this is just an overview. This just kind of gives you an example. So job analysis, observe current sales representatives doing a job, discuss job with sales manager, have current sales rep keep a diary of their activities. And so this just gives you a, a brief generic job description. Primary objective is to sell companies' products to stores in Territory Z. Duties, duties include servicing accounts and maintaining positive relationships with clients. Responsibilities include introducing the new products to store managers in the area, helping the store managers estimate the volume to order, negotiating prime shelf space, explaining sales promotion activities to store managers, stocking and maintaining shelves to stores that wish such service, and then specifications, characteristics about the person qualifying for this job. This is what we're looking for specifically. Two years of sales experience, positive attitude, good communication skills, high school diploma, and two years of college credit. I'll say this as a hiring person now, that um, all these credentials are good, but if you've got good people skills and good energy, good charisma, that trumps a lot of other stuff. I mean, like, if, you, if you come in and, and can sell yourself really well, we can figure out the rest. You know, if you've got that good communication skills, what's up, man? I mean, my mom doesn't, just has a high school diploma. She's right. working along people with bachelors. She even knows people with like masters and doctors. And sure. Like her peer group, and she might make less than them because she doesn't have the education, but she's, she works just as hard as them. Right. But she's got the essential skills. She could do, she could do the work, and you know. Like the boss of people without a, with a diploma. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm uh, well, a college degree. That's, that's one thing that you have to get past is you want to hire people that are smarter and better than you. That elevates your team. Like, it, like the coach can't do what Michael Jordan can do. But he's Michael Jordan, you know, and he can, he can do those amazing things. So that's why you hire Michael Jordan, you know. So, like, you got to be willing to hire people that are highly skilled, highly energetic, and then help them get to the next level because if they know that you believe in them and are willing to invest in them and help them get promoted and, and fulfill their dreams, they're just going to be so appreciative and, and work ten times harder because they, they want to keep this job and do a good job because they know you're invested in them. And so... Yeah, uh, it's a tough thing to do because you find that managers often do the opposite. They try to hold people down. They try to hold people back. They try to keep people from leaving. Um, we're in the process of hiring somebody new for this department, and I told this person, we made them an offer, they accepted. I said um, a few things. If I'm doing a bad job or if something I'm doing wrong, tell me. Also, um, if your goal is to get promoted, I'm here to help you, and if you leave in a few years, I'm fine with that. And just let them know right out of the gate because um, I've worked jobs where it was not exactly the opposite, but they want to keep you there. They don't want you to leave because it messes up their plans. You know, you want people to feel like they can thrive and grow. It does create better outcomes. So recruitment, the set of activities used to obtain a sufficient number of the right people at the right time, meaning that if we need 220 employees, we've got 200. You know, if we, we anticipate we're going to need 220 in the next months, what do we do to get to that sweet matchup? Not more, not less, right on what we need. Human resource managers use both internal and external sources to recruit employees. Small businesses often make use of web resources like Glassdoor, Indeed, and LinkedIn to recruit employees. Has anybody ever used a web service for job search? My wife has, but what's up? Uh, that's how I got dairy. Okay. Well, Jobs. What what was the service you were using? Just curious. Uh, so Dairy Queen, 
it's like on some obscure hiring. I forget what right. it was, but I had gotten a recommendation through a friend, but they told me to go on here and find it. That, what you just got, is the golden ticket. Like, um, when I got my job at Walmart, the way, way I got that job was my friend was department manager. He said, dude, you just graduated. My store manager would love you. Let me talk to him. And he talked to him, and we got the, inter- the, we got the, the meet, and the meet led to the interview with the district manager, and that led to a job offer. And so having a connection, that I can't, I can't speak for enough about networking, meeting people, having that connection. Um, I don't personally like to do it. I may pretend like I like to do it, but I just, I'm not a networker. But it's, it's, that's my biggest challenge when it comes to professional development is networking because I'm still that guy in high school standing in the corner not wanting to go dance, you know. Even though I'm a really good dancer, believe it or not, no. But seriously, like, I just don't like, you know, to go out there and say, hi, I'm Ron, how are you? You know, it's just networking never, stuff. It's so big. It's so big because, like, people know people, and they and that that connection is just such a magical thing. What's up? I've been looking for a job for almost a year, and then I was talking to my friend's older sister, the one who got me the job. He said, I can give you a recommendation. I've been there for, like, two-plus years. I, like, they respect my right. work, and they respect my opinion. And I applied. Two days later, I'm like, hey, can you come in for an interview? Right. All the others, I'd not gotten even a word from them in, like, months. So let me tell you two, two quick stories on how big networking is. I was in my office one day and had a gentleman walk in. He was in flip-flops, shorts, T-shirt. He walked in and said, hey, I just want to introduce myself. I'm new to the area. You know, and, we, and he just was he's looking around talking about different things. And right off the bat, I knew this guy had a lot of charisma, really interesting, nice person. But he mentioned you know, he, he was looking for a job. Like, it just came up. And I was like, man, you would be great for this. And I, like, networked. And that gentleman got an interview for a job. So just because he walked in my office one day and had that, con- that connection, that five-minute, ten-minute conversation. And then I was um, – this was unintentional networking, but when I was a full-time teacher and that's all I did was teaching, um, I was off during the summer, basically May through August. And so three months, I'm not doing anything. I'm like, I can't stand it. I've got to get out and work. I can't stand being at the house all summer. I'm like, it sounds interesting to not have to go to work for three months. I hated it. Would you hate it? Like, I hated it. I was just like, oh, my God, I'm miserable. I got to get out of the house. I'm done. So I was just talking to my preacher one day, and I was like, what are you, because he's bivocational. I knew he had two jobs. He, he preached, and he did something else. But I never knew what he did. And he said, oh, I, I work with Society St. Andrew, which works on food justice issues. I had no idea what he was talking about. I, I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. So I went and looked at what it was online, and they had a position open for – Northeastern North Carolina Gleaning Coordinator. And I said, hey, I'm interested in that if, if you want to hire me. And he said, we'll think about it. And like six weeks later, he said, are you still interested in doing that? And I said, I'm sorry I hadn't talked to you about it. I've been busy. And said, oh, let's, let's, let's talk about it. So I ended up getting hired. And um, I've been with him for four years now. And it's a part-time job that I do. We do gleanings out in, um, in fields. Basically, we recover produce that's left out in the field that hasn't been harvested for one reason or another, usually because it's uh, too small or too big or misshapen. But this is an event I was at on Friday. I don't know if you can see that. This is a group from Food Line that came with us. We gleaned 15,200 pounds on Saturday um, at that event. And these 45,000 servings of uh, produce that will go into local communities here and just the surrounding counties. So it was a really cool job. I dig it. But I got that job just from networking, you know, and asking questions, and boom, there you go. So, And it's not – I don't make a ton of money, but I, I enjoy it, and it's something to do. And I do it more in the summer. You know, I did do it more in the summer when I wasn't working in the summer. So. But um, networking is such a powerful thing. So take that's probably the most important thing you would get today is the power of networking, how, how important it is for you and for others. So, All right. So this talks about employment sources. So external – all these different things that are external and social and um, uh, HR does all of this. Like they'll post jobs on job boards, they'll post it on social media. One of my friends down the hall that's trying to hire an assistant, um, she wanted me to post it on LinkedIn for her and share it. Uh, so all these different things that we go through: job fairs, online connections, associations, ads. I mean, and then uh, internal sources or transfers, promotion. Employee recommendations, retrained employees, department reorganizations. So all these inputs come into HR, 
And then HR will discern who our top candidates need to be. We'll make a selection of a few candidates we'll interview. We'll make a hiring decision, and then we'll go through orientation. And then this process is perpetual. Um, downstairs in HR for, for um, Johnson Community, we might be hiring 20, 30 people at the same time across campus. I mean, I think on the job boards, there might be 50, 60, 70 people, both positions open right now, but we may be actively onboarding 20 or 30 people at any given time. And so each one of those has a, is at a different phase of an onboard, you know, and it's a very complex multi-step process to bring somebody into an organization. Um, just the hiring process alone, if you wanted to get a job today at JCC, it'll probably take two months, minimum, minimum. Um, that's, that's just to go through the interview, the, the, well, the application, selection, initial interview, follow-up interview, um, background check, all for letter, um, acceptance, onboard, benefits, training, you know, I mean, and it's been all this, it's just more and more, it just keeps coming. So yeah, it's probably a 20 or 30 step process and it'll take two months minimum. And that's, that's fast. Um, I hired somebody earlier this year. We posted it in February. We finally got them hired in in late May. So it was like a, almost a four-month process we went through. So, yeah. But that just shows you the level of complexity. And you want to make good hiring decisions. You elevate your organization by making good hiring decisions. You avoid problems by making good hiring decisions. If you make bad hiring decisions, you lower your, your uh, place of employment you uh, make other people discontent because their morale is going to go down if you make a bad hiring decision. Um, and it hurts your profitability. It hurts your customer service. It hurts your customer service to internal people between each other. So, And then you eventually have to get rid of this person and get somebody else in. And then that goes through the whole hiring process again. So you really want to get top-notch people in the door as much as you can. So human resource managers today have the opportunity to recruit people from a wide range of culture and ethnic backgrounds. What are some of the advantages of diverse of a diverse workforce? Diversity, we hear that word a lot. Inclusion, we hear that word a lot. Why is it advantageous or why is it good for business to be diverse? Why is that good business? You can get different ideas. Get different ideas, right, right, right. Everybody has different experiences and things, so you can learn from each. Right. So if I work for a marketing firm <clears throat> Catherine, and I want to sell you a product, okay? How do I know what you like? I have no idea, right? We, we, have, we have different backgrounds. And so, like, how do I understand what Catherine likes? You know what I'm saying? If I, if Kelsey, if I want to sell you a product, how do I know what Kelsey likes? And so, but if I have you or someone like you in your, in your age group in the, in the place of employment in the marketing firm, now... You can tell me what somebody like you would like. You can say, you know, if I say, I think we should do this marketing campaign, you're like, no. And, you know, in fact, quick story on that, I would participate in a thing called, um, oh gosh, it's it slipped my mind, but it was, uh, it was through District C, that's what it was. It was an opportunity for us to partner with high school students to talk about, basically, it's called a teamship, which is a small micro internship. And so these high school students had an internship with us. Um, but it was only for like two weeks. It was a, a micro-internship. And the thing they did was to solve a problem, and the problem they, they solved was how do we market on social media to teenagers? So when I, if I make a video on social media that I think a teenager would like, even though I'm not that far removed, I'm coming at it from a 43-year-old perspective, you know. So I talked to these young people, teenagers, how do I make a video for you guys? And so the videos I was making were 30 seconds to 60 seconds. They immediately said, your videos are too long. That was, that was one of the first pieces of feedback I got. They need to be seven seconds and because people like to flip. And if it's more than five or seven seconds, they're not going to watch it. So that was really valuable. I need to get it down to five or seven seconds. Um, the other thing, which I kind of already knew, was it doesn't need to be an ad. It needs to be entertaining. If it's an ad, people are not going to watch it. Why would I go on social media for entertainment to watch advertisements? Nobody wants to watch ads. Get out of the ad mentality and entertain. So that's good feedback, right? So if I just, like, if I was doing an ad in here, me standing up and falling on the floor, that would be effective ad, you know what I'm saying, if that's the advertisement. But me to get, getting up and just promoting something like 
a politician or a salesperson, nobody wants to watch that, you know. So you got to do entertaining things that make people want to watch it. So, so advantages of diversity in the workplace gives you diverse perspectives. People from all walks of life, from all different backgrounds, teach you how to look through the eyes of other people. And uh, it's, it's really a magical thing when you have that working together. Um, so selection, the process of gathering information and deciding who should be hired under legal guidelines for the best interests of the individual and the organization. Um, I applied for two years to get into higher ed before I finally landed a job. One time I applied at Sampson Community College and I ran into the president, Dr. Aiken, in Walmart. And I said, Dr. Aiken, why didn't I get that job? <laughs> I said, I really wanted to work for you. What happened? And he told me something that I've, I've heard time and time again. It's all about the right fit. You heard this before? The right person for the job. And I just, at the time, wasn't the right fit. That's a hard thing to hear. But every opportunity that closes leads to another opportunity, and it ultimately leads to somewhere good. So steps in the selection process, obtaining complete application forms, conducting initial and follow-up interviews, giving employment tests. Uh, gosh, I don't, I don't see, I haven't seen that in a while, employment tests, but I believe to get hired in places like McDonald's, did DQ have an employment test? Um, I know Walmart does. Walmart has something like a 100-question test you have to get through to get hired there. Publix does. Publix does, yeah. Uh, I think Sheets does. So. The Publix was like forever. I sat there for like an hour taking the stupid test. Right, yeah. Have you ever taken one? Anybody else? Would, would you take like, and they're like a combination of a personality and ethics test. Like if you find a $1 bill on the ground, what do you do? And then like a few minutes later, it'll say, well, now you found a $20 bill on the ground. What do you do? And it's like, you know, so that kind of stuff, you know. It looks like a realistic scenario. Right. Where they put you like, through a transfer and I'm like, who is asking these questions, even out of public? Right. These are, this is crazy. Yeah. And none of the answers are actually the right answer. <laughs> what if they have a write-in that says, I feel insane taking this test, you know? So, <laughs> um, so background checks, obtaining results from physical exams, establishing trial uh, periods, yeah. Attaining results from physical exams, I guess we're talking about drug tests, so that is still a thing. So areas where job applicants make mistakes. So this is the last one we'll cover today. They don't follow directions. That's an important one. I had to do an application, not for a job, but we were applying to be a part of um, this thing called the Build Academy, which is to help us get an NSF grant we're working on. And the application called for it to be delivered as a Word document. And I like to deliver things as a PDF, but I sent it specifically as a Word document, and I indicated that's why I was doing it. Um, but I also included a PDF, but I just want to know that I submitted it like that because that's what the application called for. Pieces of the application are left blank. Don't want to do that. You want to fill out everything as completely as you can. Cover letter and resume are not submitted or not tailored to the job. You must. Yes, I, that's one thing that hurt a recent applicant um, that we talked to. Um, they submitted an application, they submitted transcripts, but no cover letter, no resume. If you really care about the job, you want it to be glowing. That's your pitch. That's your elevator pitch is the cover letter. And please let people proofread that multiple times for you. Applicant is not qualified for the job. There was a study that came out. This, this is not sexist, what I'm about to say. It may sound a little sexist, but it was, I'm quoting some science that, that I read. that said that men more often get promoted because they will apply for jobs they are not qualified to get. And women will wait until they have all the qualifications to apply for those jobs. This is stereotyping, but it was saying, uh, basically, the, this was the observation, is that women would wait until they have the qualifications, men would apply for more jobs they weren't qualified to get, and this in part led to them getting jobs even though they weren't fully qualified to get those jobs. So, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Do you think you should just... If you're mostly qualified, do you think you should go for it? Yeah. Uh, see what happens? Yeah. You think you should? Yeah. Well, I can, you think so? I can tell you sometimes you don't ever know who's filling out for the job. You know, they might not get somebody who's totally qualified. I've hired five people this year. Two of the positions, only one person applied for one of them. On the other one, uh, only three applied, and two of them refused to interview. So... It's probably good advice to apply, even if you don't think you're qualified, because a lot of these times, these jobs open up for only two weeks, and if that person misses that opportunity and you see it, I say go for it. What's the worst that can happen? No, you know? What's up? 
Um, last few, applicants undersell themselves. Yeah. Or employment gaps are not explained or lied about. This is a big one. I, I, I'm ignorant on this, but apparently people lie very often on their application and resumes. Don't do that. And then poor grammar, that's my thing. If I look at a cover letter and resume and it's got stuff that jumps out at me, it, I'm like, oh, my God, no. So, yeah, make sure you have somebody proofread it, a couple of people, get some feedback on that. If you're applying to be a college instructor, and, yeah, and, you know, I can forgive one or two little things, but come on, you know, let's, so. All right, uh, we'll take time out here for today. Don't forget about Chapter 10 uh, quiz tonight, SWAT paper due next Thursday, this coming Thursday, and we'll wrap up the chapter on HR on Thursday as well. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. What's up? This Thursday. This Thursday. This Thursday. I'm sorry. Yes. See you then.